Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal, to simplify big ideas for greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, welcome to episode number 24 of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I'm your host, and I hope that this conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. Today, you are in for a treat. My guest is Al Robertson, the author, speaker, and pastor. Uh, you probably probably know him as the beardless brother from the show Duck Dynasty. Well, with a few unexpected conversations, I ended up getting a chance to sit down and talk with him about some pretty cool behind the scenes with their show, their faith, and the opportunities that God brought as a result of this show. If you've seen the show, you know it is hilarious, it is unexpected, it is ridiculous, uh, but their passion for Jesus is far greater than any of that. And that is what I love so much about this conversation that I have with Al. Today, we're going to dive into a very fun conversation about their show, as well as some important topics like marriage and faithfulness, America, and of course, Jesus. Uh, So enough with uh, this introduction. Let's get to my conversation with Duck Dynasty's Al Robertson. Well, I am um, I'm thrilled and really excited to have Al Robertson on our podcast. Um, I think many of you will have heard his name from the Duck Dynasty show. Um, Al, welcome, and how are you, man? I'm doing really good. I have to say, since I'm getting to, to see your uh, the video with you on there, you've got quite the beard. You might could fit into our family. I mean, <laughs> Got a nice thread count going there, dude. I, you know, I had to, I had to grow this out um, before I, I made sure that we had this conversation, and um, I, I should also say, and my brother-in-law would not forgive me if I didn't mention this, but he has a big beard, and his last name is Robertson as well. So really, uh, it is. Well, we have to be kin somewhere down the line. We're kin to a lot of people, according to a lot of people. So I'm, I'm, sure, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's across somewhere. I'm, I'm sure there's a relationship there somewhere. Um, so, okay, Al, um, what do you do these days? Well, I, I stay busy. I, I jokingly say that I'm the uh, busiest unemployed man in America because I don't really work for an entity uh, anymore. You know, I worked for the church for most of my life, uh, like you, you know, as a pastor, and uh, did about everything you could do in church work went back to work for the company <clears throat> back when the show took off, you know, partly to be on the show, but then also to really help our business because, because the show was so popular, you know, we're selling duck calls way outside of the, you know, what we normally would be doing to duck hunters. You know, that's how we started. But then when the show became so popular, you had little kids buying duck calls for party favors for their six year old daughters, you know, because <laughs> of the popularity of the show. And yet you're still having to make duck calls that sound like ducks. You know, it's, it's not a novelty. It's a, it's an actual instrument that, you know, the college does. So wow. we did that. Lisa and I did that for about three years. And, um, and then we started, you know, once we kind of became known, we started writing some books and getting asked to go speak places. And, and we finished off the show in, in 2017. And so that's kind of what we've been doing ever since. And so uh, we speak a lot. 2020 obviously has been a challenging year because of COVID like everybody else. Um, so we haven't been on the road much this year, but also I started preaching again here because our, our young pastor left. Yeah. Basically, we had hired to take my place. And so uh, I stepped back in with uh, my old preaching partner from years ago. And so we're just kind of doing it, you know, pro bono uh, for the church. And uh, we're, we're nearing the end of this whole year. But it worked out great because 
if you're going to have a year where you needed some a little bit of grizzle of veterans to step in, it was probably 2020 because, you know, then we became mostly live stream. And like you, you know, you, you've had to adapt to, to your podcast and ways to be able to communicate and connect with people. So that's been a lot of fun. And then, of course, uh, our podcast, uh, which is called Unashamed uh, with Dad and Jace, <clears throat> I produced that. So my cousin and I started a production company and um, <clears throat> we started producing that show along with a few others. And, and now we're about to do Sadie's podcast and some other podcasts too. So it's been really interesting. I really, I'm not a talent on our podcast. I'm just kind of, I just kind of got on there cause I thought it'd be better if I was there. And now I'm kind of part of it. <clears throat> See how the way it worked out. You know? <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. Okay. So Al, um, the people listening to this, um, probably know, um, an incredible amount about you and your your family. Um, what is something that not many people will know about you? Well, it's funny when because you sent me that question ahead of time, and I looked at it. And I thought, man, what's not known about the Roberts? How about a family? Number one, we wrote all our books and really told the truth about all our weaknesses and failures. Mm -hmm. So we basically put TMZ out of business for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, no 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 skeletons that we haven't talked about. And then the other thing is, you know, we've done so many interviews through the year, but I, I, I thought of one and I'm glad you sent it to me ahead because I would probably had a hard time thinking of what it is. But most people don't know. <clears throat> I'm trying to think how old I was. I guess I was probably, you know, not a teenager yet, but I had the, a huge uh, crush on Wonder Woman. Oh, okay. The, the actress, I guess. Well, I don't know if it's just Wonder Woman, but you know, there was a series in the 80s where Linda Carter, who's a beautiful actress, played Wonder Woman, you know, and she had the, she had the belt of truth and all this stuff. But, you know, maybe it was just my age. Maybe it was right there because I was getting ready for puberty or whatever. But, you know, th those, uh, that red, white and blue bloomers, you know, that just, that got me. So, <laughs> so in my, in my room, I had all my sports, you know, heroes, uh, Julius Irving and Steve Garvey and Roger Staubach and you know, all the people that as a kid, I loved the teams. And then I had one poster of Wonder Woman. Uh, it was up above my bed. And so mom, you know, she's got boys. And so she's wanting to make sure that we're, you know, raised the right way. So she came in with a blue magic marker and extended Wonder Woman's bloomers <laughs> down to shorts. <laughs> and so I guess she didn't want me to get the wrong idea. You know how teenage boys are. So she added a little bit of modesty. <laughs> As most people wouldn't know that. Now my wife knows it, which is funny because it's been kind of a, ongoing joke now most of our life and of course now wonder woman has resurfaced you know as a as a movie character and so yeah. we've been laughing a lot and joking so she'll give me wonder woman gifts and people will just as a joke and so a few years ago when her mom who's passed away now was alive we have a thing at our church we do for the community called trunk or treat you know basically oh, yeah. it's just a big thing where you get candy and it's huge i mean we have thousands that come ours is like legendary so I always, you know, really went to a lot of trouble to dress up with something really cool. And so I came out to Trunk or Treat one year and I look up and my mother-in-law is wearing a Wonder Woman costume. Oh, no. <laughs> and her legs at this stage of her life were not Wonder Woman-esque. And so basically, I think she broke me of my... <laughs> It was all it was all broken in one terrible night when you know, the funny. first time she'd been over to pick something up. So, I 
Al, I thought that story was going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going to say you dressed up like Wonder Woman, <laughs> drunk or treat. <laughs> now, you got to remember where we are. Now, you do that in Louisiana, you're not going to make it very long. So. <clears throat> Maybe in California I could have pulled that off. But I, I yeah, know. yeah. That's awesome. So, okay, Al, it's been three years um, coming up on bumping into four years since Duck Dynasty um, last aired. What are some of the eye-opening things that God taught you through the, the Duck Dynasty journey? You know, <clears throat> scholars a lot. I mean, obviously, we could spend the rest of our time together talking about the, the things that God showed us through the process. But I would say, for me, my number one, because, you know, I, when I speak around the country, this is a lot of what I speak about. Because, you know, most audiences come to hear one of us speak because they watch the show, they love the show, they know a lot of people heard about the show. And so, you know, I always want to honor that and talk about the show because that was the first reason people knew us. And if they, you know, people know us better now, but if it hadn't been for a show, nobody would even care. And so I talk a little bit about how it started and the, you know, the family and kind of our expectation. But then I love to show two pictures. And in these two pictures, uh, I'll describe to you what, what the lesson that was learned for me. I showed the first picture, which was the, the last night we filmed the show. We were in Willie's house. He, he, had, he had since built a new house since the show, even while it was still going on, they were building this new house and they never filmed in it. We still filmed scenes in their old house, which it kind of was nice because for them, they didn't have to live where you're filming. It's, it's kind of difficult in our family when you're, when your house is a studio, you know? And so they were able to film their scenes and, you know, things in the family in the old house, but they had this new house. So when we filmed the, the clip show, which is kind of, you know, when a series will end, you usually have an episode where the actors will get together, in our case, the family, and talk about certain clips, talk about certain things about the show. And so that was the show. <clears throat> and that ran the, you know, the week after the show ended. So it literally was the last night we were going to be filming the Dynasty. And so it was kind of, you know, I mean, it was a lot of laughter, but it was kind of a sad thing, too. You know, for the crew, it was the last time we were going to see the whole crew together. And a lot of these guys, which is very unusual for reality TV, our crew went with us most of it the entire run of the show. Most time when they're hiatus, they have to get work. And so they'll find another job or another show. And then you just don't see them next, you know, next time there'll be a new guy, but our show crew loved us and we loved them. And so it was, you know, there was a bond there. And so there were tears, there were shed, but somebody snapped a shot of that group. I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere. It's very stately. And Willie's new living room is like, you could land an airplane in it. You know, so we call it the Taj Mahal of West Monroe. And, but we were all there and the way everybody was just kind of staged in this like, you know, amphitheater look. And you look at the family and there's mom and dad, the matriarch. And whenever, you know, you look, you see all this like three and four generations of faith because, you know, there's mom and dad and then there's all of us and there's our, our kids, which started out little teen, pre-teens and now, you know, they're getting married, they're having babies. And so when you look at that picture, it's like, I tell, you know, talk to the audience and say, I mean, do you not love this picture? And everybody's like, yeah, they're clapping because it's what they love about the Robertsons. It's, it's, it's generations of faith. It's people not shrinking back. It's people who are unashamed, willing to talk about what Jesus did in their lives. And so then I love the, 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 and you know, as a speaker, you love to do the bait and switch. So then I pop a picture in from 1972 and it's, it's mom and dad. Dad doesn't have a shirt on and he's no beard. You know, and his hair look just like yours, dark hair. And there's mom, and she's got a maternity shirt on because she's pregnant with Willie. 
And then there's me at about seven. And then there's Chase, who's about three at the time. And, you know, you know, we're smiling and, you know, it, it looks like it's okay, like a happy little family. But then I described to the audience, this family was a terrible, mm. terrible place. You know, dad was drinking and running a bar and it wouldn't be too long after this picture that they would split up, you know, a couple of years. And so this family was in serious crisis, serious trouble. And then I always love to say that that 72 family, because of where we were, and I, you know, I'm old enough to remember it, so I know what I'm talking about. They could have never imagined that 2017 family. In the moment of desperation they were at, and mom, especially the way things were going, and dad not having any idea what he even wanted to do in life, other than he didn't want to follow God, you know, and he didn't want to be told what to do. And so, you know, they could have never imagined that picture going forward. Mm. And the reason I like to show that to audiences is because you and I both know we deal with a lot of broken people. There'll be a family that's just, there's no idea they can know how they're going to get through the week, much less the next year or the next decade. And so I want to provide them hope because the Robertson family who are not perfect. And we came from such a humble origin that we look back now. And when I look at that 72 family, I am just so in awe of what God did mm. over the course of that 40 plus years. And, you know, look, our deal was hard work. Dad had an idea about a duck call, but we didn't have any money and we didn't have any means by which to do it other than just to commercial fish and work hard. And we live for 40 years almost on basically a manna philosophy. I mean, it was just enough every day, just enough fish to get us to the next day or the next week and to pay the bills and keep that commander operating. So, you know, it's both a spiritual dream, but it's also an American dream. You know, it just shows you what's great about our country. And so uh, I love, I think that's what we learned the most because I always tell people, God knew one day we would be a big deal in that people would love us, want to talk to us, want to have us come to their church or come to their event. And the last thing he wanted us to think was that it was us that did it. Mm. And so I think that, that the journey of humility has been what has grounded us and given us success. But more than anything, it's allowed us now in this season of our life to just look at it and say, man, what a run it was. We're just bringing God more glory, more people. Yeah. And so ministry is a big part of what we did. Man, that's cool. I love that. I love to hear that. Um, I, I didn't know that the origin, you know, a little bit of the origin story of, you know, um, 1972. And um, Mike, when he came up this way, he was sharing a little bit um, about the story about uh, your dad being um, uh, owning a bar, running a bar. And um, I think he said it was either um, his niece or aunt. Um, it was my aunt. It was dad's youngest sister. Oh, okay. So yeah. if, if you reach him, he's going to reach thousands, you know? And, said. and then um, the guy that mentored Mike and I, Bill Smith, he was our pastor at the time in the seventies, Jan, my aunt, and he didn't want to go. And look, I always joke with Bill through the years because he was mine and Mike's mentor all of our early years of ministry. And I, I didn't hold it against Bill because I've been asked to go to the bar or go to some place where some guy did try to talk sense and talk Jesus to him. And I'm hesitant about it, too, because, you know, Jesus loves when people seek him. But sometimes you go into those settings, they're not ready uh, for a sermon. And that's what happened that night. Dad never never quit drinking that beer. He said I had a 32-ounce beer in between my knees. And the whole time he was trying to share with him and finally just said, I think you need to head on down the road. But that same guy, Bill Smith, two years later, <clears throat> when Dad finally got to the end of the road, he was the one he said, I'll, I'll sit down and talk with him. 
And so he's the one that led him to Christ. But you're right. It was my Aunt Jan that never gave up on him because she knew what potential he had. And look, she turned out to be prophetic because he's done exactly what she said. Uh, he's done exactly what she said he would do and that's lead thousands of people to Christ. Man, that's so cool. It like gives me goosebumps to hear that. Um, so, okay, looking at the show, um, give us the kind of the, 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 the backdrop. I mean, we see what we see on the TV, but um, from your perspective, what have you seen God do as a result of the show? I mean, did, has God opened any doors um, for the gospel because of the show? Yeah, obviously, <clears throat> all of us had been trained for ministry, but as we know, it's not always the training that opens the door. I mean, it gives you the ability either to teach or to preach or to share or to, you know, whatever your gifts may be. But what you need is, is uh, you know, an opportunity. And that's exactly what the show was. Dad sort of famously, when they came out, they said, okay, because they knew they had to convince Dad, you know, to do the show because he's the patriarch, you know, but he was the least one wanting to do the show. And so so when they came out, the producers, and they're like, uh, Mr. Phil, I mean, you know, we just want you on board. And, you know, they go through their whole pitch and they're, what do you think? He said, well, boys, I don't think this will work. I don't think anybody wants to watch a bunch of Louisiana rednecks, duck hunters on television. He said, but if the, the almighty is behind this, then it's going to, it's going to go through the roof and it'll be a, it'll be a smash hit, which is, you know, pretty amazing. So what he was basically saying is I can't see how this works, but you know what, if God is building this thing, <clears throat> then look out because something big is going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. And so what happens is now it's like everybody has these planks that are built on the on the heart of the show the show built it it's like the stage and then everybody's planks are all in different directions and everybody has different things they're passionate about in the family you know sadie's got her thing and willie and corey have their thing and dad's got his thing and i've got my thing and, you know it's just like that with all of us and now we're having the opportunity to use that to be able to both you know help causes win souls to christ save babies lives mm you know, adopt children. So everybody has a thing. And now we all get to do the thing, which is really cool and fun. The negative for, <clears throat> for all of us, for me, is that we aren't together as much, anymore, sure. which kind of makes me sad because we, before in the show, see, we were all centralized because everybody was here working, doing the show. And so, you know, you got to see your family almost every day or at least several times a week. And now, you know, I don't, I'll read so that. So I found out the other day that Sadie had COVID on people magazine, people.com. Oh <laughs> Somebody posts something and I'm like, Sadie has COVID. So I read the piece, you know, and so then I text her, I said, Hey Sadie, I just read on people that you have COVID. And so, you know, because, you know, everybody's just going in different directions. So I may go weeks sometimes without seeing, you know, Will and Corey or somebody in the family. Now, Jace, you know, and dad and I get to get you know together every week. And so, that's been a fun thing, you know, for me to do with him. Oh, cool. Well, Alan, one of your things, one of your niches, um, if, if you can say it like that, one of your planks um, that that I that I see, I hear you write about, talk about often, is the topic of marriage and forgiveness. Um, can you share a little bit with our audience um, of your story and why those why those topics are important for you? Well, it really all started for me, Scott, when I was a teenager. Obviously, Dad came to the Lord. Mom came to the Lord first. 
And then our lives really took off in terms of spiritually and, and things were great. And so when I went into my teenage years, I had every opportunity to succeed, you know, I mean, because I'd had a rough, you know, first 10 years, but after that now, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? And I had been very plugged into church and, and other Christians, even when we were in a bad place, because God just had his hand on me. I just had this great favor when I was young. <clears throat> and now I finally have an opportunity to act on that. And instead, as happens many times in families, and it's so important when it does, the evil one just worked his way into my life. And, and even though I was, I, I call myself a double secret agent because I was on the third row with all the other youth, uh, you know, at our church at WFR, the same church, you know, that I get to pastor at now. And I was right there, but you know, when that heart goes south, then you can, you can sing the words, you can listen to the prayers, you can quote the Bible verses, but your heart's not there. Mm. And so I had, I had the look of it, but, but I didn't have the heart for it. And so my teenage years was just a straight down spiral until I graduated high school when I was 17 years old. And then I left, I was given a choice. You can stay and change, or you can leave and just go do what you got to do. And so that's what I did. I was 17. So I basically went about a year and a half of just <clears throat> every sort of trouble you could find yourself in. And then I eventually came home as a prodigal. And it was really a lot like Luke 15, like the story there, because, you know, I was in the pig pen. Mine was New Orleans, but I was I was in that place of desperation, sin and difficulty. And then, you know, I, I just woke up one day. I thought, this is terrible. You know, I had that aha moment that the, the kid did. And uh, when when I came home, uh, you know, dad accepted me. Mom accepted me. Um, you know, they didn't give me a list of rules. They just said, welcome home. And so it had such a profound impact on me. And since then I've been wide open for Jesus. I was 18 years old and it had such an impact on me because I realize now that, you know, grace really does trump everything, everything bad you've ever done. You can come back from anything because I felt like I'd just been such a terrible person. And so it helped me later as a pastor too, to, to want to have a church that anybody could come home, to. you know, that nobody was beyond reaching that the love of Christ, how long and how wide and how deep and how long it really is that anybody could do it. And I know you met Mike and Jeremy and some of the guys from our church and you know, that's our philosophy. I mean, that's, that's who we are. You know, a lot of times it's said in our area, uh, you know, if they got some guy and he can't get off drugs or something bad. And they said, well, you know what? You probably ought to try to get him down to white Ferry road because they'll take anybody. And when I hear that, I'm just like, that's our motto. We'll take anybody and, awesome. and nobody's too, too bad to be here. And so I think that's what set the stage for me to understand forgiveness is because I had learned so much myself. And then Lisa and I, because we had had this bad period when we first met, we were teenagers, we carried a lot of that baggage into our relationship. And so mm -hmm. here I was teaching and preaching and leading people to Christ, but Lisa was withering and dying in our marriage and just had this complete hidden wall up. And so she's where I was as a teenager now as a young, you know, wife and mother, and it would take 15 years before it all blew up, but it always does because just like in my case as a teenager, if you're pushing down and, and, and having a sinful life and a double life, it's going to blow up in your face at some point. And it did in ours at 15 years. It was very public. It was very ugly. I was associate pastor at our church. You know, my family's always been there. And so it was, it was a really, really, really difficult time. But 
because God hath shown favor and grace and forgiveness to me, mm-hmm. he gave me the capacity that when Lisa finally gave her heart to Jesus, that we would be able to work it out. And I would be able to extend that same forgiveness to her, which I did. And so we've written a couple of books. One is A New Season, which is our story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we wrote a follow-up to it called Desperate Forgiveness, which basically says, here's what God did in us. Now, here's what we've been able to pay forward and do to other people, do with other people. Oh, cool. We tell some tremendous stories in there of people who were just in such a desperate, terrible place, but found forgiveness. Uh, and, of course, there's a few stories in there that are TBD. You know, we still don't know. Um, mm. You know, someone passes away and they left all this heart and bitterness in your heart, you know, all these terrible things in your heart. How do you get past that? Because, you know, you can't square it up with them. They're not here anymore. And so we tell a lot of stories like that as well, because look, real life is, is hard. Sin is difficult and painful for people, but forgiveness really is the only answer. And you think about it, Scott, you look at all the things that are ailing our culture right now in our country, so much anger, so much hurt from past things and, you know, still just rearing its head in our culture. And so many people just, you know, violence and everything has with it. Just think about what a good dose of forgiveness would do. No to the United States of America. You just think about it. Somebody said, you know, I'll tell you what, let's just as a people decide we're going to start over now. And everything that happened in the past, to every group of people, every individual, we're going to say, you know what, we offer, we ask for and offer forgiveness for everything. Let's just reboot. I mean, you, you know, you say that and I was like, oh, let's start singing Kumbaya and, and join hands. But, but it really is that simple if you had a way and a platform to be able to do that. You know, mm. to offer that because that's what we've noticed about it. So obviously, as you can see, I'm very passionate about the topic because it really is the heart of it. One of the things I discovered on the, the last book we wrote in Desperate, and it's the verse I sign uh, when, when I write it, is in Luke 7 when the woman is at Jesus' feet and she's broken and just oh, yeah. desperate and just, you know, to me, it's a great picture of what I wanted to try to capture in the book. And it's just pouring out of her. Like she's crying about it and you just, you can see it and you can hear it. And it's so intimate what she's doing at a spiritual level that it makes Simon, the host, the Pharisee, super uncomfortable. Yeah. And so he, he just, he's looking at this and he's like, oh, this is obscene. Away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's like, this guy really was who he said. And he just thinks it, which I love it about Jesus. You can just think it. And then he's like, he nails him. And what he tells him is something that's, that we should all remember. He says, to the person who has been forgiven much, they love much. But for the person who has been forgiven little, they love little. Mm. And of course, he doesn't have to say who he was talking about. Everybody in the room knew it. This woman is going to be a lover of many people because she's embracing my forgiveness. But this man who's looking down on the woman, he's not going to love hardly anybody because he won't embrace what I'm offering. So I think it's a great thing for us to remember to embrace that. That allows us then to give that out. That's how it tends to work. Man, that's cool. I, you know, when you started talking about um, forgiveness and, and the importance of that, and man, that's exactly the story that came into my mind. Um, you know, he was forgiven much, loved uh, much. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Al, uh, Let's say somebody in um, in the audience listening to this episode, um, they're in a rocky spot in their marriage. Uh, what advice do you give to them um, to make forgiveness a reality? Well, <clears throat> I think the first thing you have to do, depending on where your relationship is with Christ, is you've got to be able to totally embrace what God has done for you. Mm. I think a lot of times people who haven't really trusted God to forgive them 
have a really hard time forgiving their spouse or forgiving someone else. And so I think it has to start there. You know, when you have problems in a relationship, I always say, tell couples, you didn't stand in front of the preacher and do the I do's and, and have the thing at the party afterwards and leave, you know, with everybody clapping and cheering. You never thought at that moment you would be where you are today. Right. And the couples always say, well, no, we didn't, we didn't want this at all. And I always say, well, then something happened from the chapel to today. And so what we've got to figure out and what you've got to figure out is what helps set the recipe for where you are now, whether it's infidelity, it's some other sin problem. Nobody sets out to do it this way, but then it happens. And so the only way you can, the only way I know you can do to fix it is to go back and look at yourself. Because instantly couples will come in and they'll say, well, if you can fix him, or if you can do this with her, then we're going to be fine. And I always say, whoa, 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 let's just turn this thing around because the only person that's going to be able to fix anybody is yourself. And then if you can bring two healthier people into this relationship that have embraced God, they're going to be able to do this thing. And so my biggest advice is when you're going through a rough patch, just remember, that's why we called our first book a new season. Mm. Life is full of seasons. Sometimes it's a difficult season. Sometimes it's the season where you have your kids, you know, for the first time. And then, and that changes everything. Yeah. You know, then you're dedicated. You got these other lives that are dependent on it. Sometimes it's the season where they leave and you're back to where we were, you know, 20 years ago. So life is full of seasons, but every season is going to pass. And that's the same with the difficult times. If you can deal with them and you can learn from them and then you can apply that as you go forward, then you can get to the end of your life or marriage and you appreciate every season. And Lisa and I say now that and it took us years to get here. So I'm not saying this flippantly because we're 22 years removed now from that moment where we were devastated mm. is that we wouldn't change anything about anything. I mean, obviously I wish she hadn't had an affair. I wish I hadn't done the things that I did to contribute, but it took everything that happened every season to get us to where we are today and the blessings that we receive in our family and the blessings we receive in Christ. So, you know what, even the bad seasons, even the rotten times, even the things I wish I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, I can appreciate every season now because mm -hmm. God was doing something to me through every single one of them. So I think for young couples, especially, don't try to rush the seasons. You can't get to, you know, where your parents are, whether it's the things you have, the things you desire, the things you want, it takes time and you just have to let it build as it builds. You just want to build it the right way. It's awesome. That's good. That's great advice. Great advice, man. I mean, it's almost like, you know, uh, endurance, uh, perseverance, you know, exactly. push on through. There's always a reward on the other side. You know, I mean, exactly. the other side may be, you know, Jesus returning, but there is always a reward for endurance. And, and, and you're right, Scott. The ultimate reset is even if you spend your whole life, say something, you've had a bad accident or all of a sudden something has changed to you physically or some other way that you can't fix in this life. You know what? At the end of the day, 70, 80 years, while it's a long time when you're living it, it's not that long compared to eternity. Yeah. And if you do this thing right on this end, trust me, you're going to look back and this, this, this thing is like that. You know, I mean, I'm 50. How old are you, Scott? 31. I 30, think. 31. And I can remember 31. I mean, I can remember just being the first of ministry and you know what? That 25 years went by fast. And so, you know, you'll be one day, I'll be gone and you'll be having this conversation, however they'll be doing it in 25 years. And you'll be able to say the same things that, you know, I look back over my life, I learned a lot from the hard times, but I learned a lot from the good times. And so everything completes you to eternity. When I do a wedding, 
And when, when we're doing up their vows, I always one of my lines is I say, I agree to do whatever it takes to help get our family to heaven. Because mm. I want that vow to be a part of the, if you can awesome. stay structured there and you live in such a way to help get your family to heaven, then you'll get to heaven. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so if let's say you can uh, turn back the clock and you can rewind and, and go you know, to yourself 20 years ago, what advice would you give Al uh, to build a stronger marriage and prevent future hurt? <clears throat> the best thing I could have done to my younger self is to convince my younger self to be a better receiver of other people's honesty. Um, mm -hmm. I demanded it, you know, for my children, for my wife. And when I didn't get it though, I was super hard and judgmental and difficult because I was offended. You know, I, I just want the truth. You know, that was, yeah. that was my point. The problem is that's not how God deals with us. I mean, when he asks for truth and honesty and we give it to him and it's, and it's something terrible and it's something rotten, he doesn't just reject me and just rain all over me and have a thundercloud come up over my head. He says, it's okay, son. I get it. I want you to do better. I love you, but let's, let's get up and let's go and, and let's try to do better the next time. And so, you know, that's the way I am now. I mean, for the most part, I'm weak. I'm a man, you know, I mean, make mistakes, but for the most part, that's where I'm at. It's helped me be a much better grandfather than I was a father. You know, my grandkids are just getting to teenage years and it's, it, now it begins, you know, teenage girls. I know, you know, I've been, this is my third go around, you know, first I lived it. Then I had my kids and now I got my grandkids, but I'm much more uh, tolerant to learn truth and to help guide and to be loving and to give a hug instead of a, instead of a harsh, you know, word or, you know, that sort of thing. And so I, I think, you know, and that's my role now, you know, she, uh, you know, my granddaughter's dad has to be dad. I was dad too. You got, he's got to be the bad guy and do the things that have to be done to discipline your kids. But you know, it's beautiful now because I realize now that I can take truth and honesty and things that happen when I don't like them and still find ways to bring encouragement and to help people find a better way to live. So that's, if there's nothing else I could go back, I would, I would like to go back and tell, you know, 20 year old Al that message. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Um, so you and your brother, you talked about this um, at the beginning of our conversation, but uh, you, your brother and your dad, you have a podcast uh, with a, super relevant title, um, Unashamed. Um, can you share with, uh, with our audience, um, a little bit about, uh, the podcast, you know, um, what's the heart behind it? What do you, what do you guys hope to accomplish? Um, for me listening to it, it feels like this is what duck dynasty would have been out, uh, would have been like without any sort of TV shows. Like if we were to have stepped behind the scenes and listen to you guys have those, um, unclipped conversations. Yeah, it's a great observation, Scott. I think you nailed it. And uh, <clears throat> because obviously, you know, we were pursuing or the show producers of the dynasty were pursuing more kind of the wacky, crazy antics. And, and we certainly have some of that in our family. But the, the deeper spiritual truths of who we are, the, the ways of, you know, even though you're fighting all the time and competitive and all those that you really do love each other. Now, those kind of things or more, I think, what comes out on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, when we first started it, it's kind of interesting because it started out, Jace had nothing to do with the original concept. Mm. And Blaze TV, uh, you know, it was CRTV, and then they 
merge with Blaze, and so that's our our network. And they have, <coughs> excuse me, I got a cold. They approached us, uh, my cousin Isaac, because we were producing Dad's show on Blaze called In the Woods with Phil, and it's a subscription show. And Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, and all these you know kind of famous conservative guys are on there, and so Dad's is on there, and his is obviously very much more spiritual and he's preaching all the time but but it's also funny it's, it's a good show it's a little video blog about 10 minutes long and so we've been producing that show but in our contract for dad they said you know he could also do a podcast and so we just never had really talked about it so they approached Zach and I and they said would you guys we want you to do a podcast with Phil and uh so I thought well that'll be good you know but then I thought oh I mean you know dad I was like if you just turn him loose, it's just going to be basically however long they give him of him just preaching a sermon. <laughs> you know, and I, saw, and I was thinking to myself, because I didn't know a lot about podcasts, but so I started listening to them. And there's some kind of like that, but for the most part, the ones I found interesting were the ones that had a little bit of everything. I had a guest from time to time. So I thought, so I told Zach, my cousin, I was like, I feel like I probably need to help do the podcast. Because I said, I think dad's going to need somebody to do the ads and do all the stuff he just wouldn't be comfortable with. So it started out with me and dad, and then I was going to get a couple of local guys here to kind of rotate in and out with us, kind of like semi-permanent guests. So that was the original plan. Well, dad didn't like the idea of the guys rotating in, so he said, let's just use Dan. You know, Dan is his right-hand man. He calls the eunuch, which that's a whole other story. But anyway, so it, so the first 20, we did probably 20 or 30 episodes, and we were just, we didn't have the, we hadn't decided when we were going to start it yet, Blaze hadn't. So we're just recording them, kind of banking them. And we're doing kind of like we did for Unashamed. We're just like recording, like we just started at Genesis and we were just going to do kind of a high flyover of the Old Testament and then just kind of start into one of the Gospels or something like that. So that was our plan. And so Dan, you know, I mean, he, he's real quiet. He doesn't say much. So like it was mostly me and dad. And then every once in a while, Dan would say, so what you guys are saying is this. And so I thought, well, that's pretty good. The audience will relate to him. He's young. He's about your age. And so... But then all of a sudden, Zach calls me. He's like, hey, they want to put Jace on the podcast. And I was like, really? And I was like, yeah, they said, yeah, they want to you know, do a contract with him and have it be him, you, and your dad. And I was like, what about dad? He said, well, you know, I guess Dan will have to go. You know, so Dan was almost, he was this close, you know, to being a star. But, uh, but then they brought in Jace. And, of course, that changed the whole dynamic. And so then, basically, it was dad and Jace. And I was just kind of the quarterback you know just kind of the play-by-play guy to try to kind of keep us on the road and <laughs> that's what we basically done we, we did a we did an old testament survey to start out with just to try to we have a lot of people that that don't know anything about the bible that listen to the podcast and a lot of them were fans of the show that have now come to sort of their own age of accountability and awareness and so we're one of the first ones to guide them and and to show them discipleship and so that's why we decided this year to do the book of John, because all of us agreed that that's one of the great books to yeah. be able to really just focus people on Jesus. Who is this Jesus and why should we follow it? And so we're, we're getting near uh, the end of the book uh, to, within the next few weeks. And so it's been super exciting. And, and you, you nailed it. it it's like, a, it's like a, a, a Robertson style Bible study. Yeah. We still do, you know, throw each other under the bus and you know, we disagree on things. We tell funny stories. We even have a cold open, which is what they called on the show. The first little segment would be about two or three minutes long. And it really wouldn't have anything to do with the show. It was just kind of somehow we have to get started. So it's kind of like its own little joke. 
And that's the way we do the podcast. We have the, our cold open, which could be anywhere from, you know, five minutes to the whole first segment, depending on where we go. Cause I just let it go. You know, and if you notice, you know, they get going onto something. I just keep stoking the fire. Yeah. Sometimes we've done a whole podcast that we just did one a couple of days ago has nothing to do with the plan. Like you had this one laid out well and questions. We never even got to that. You know, it just <laughs> took off and I just kind of like let it go to where it went. And sometimes, you know, they're great. Sometimes who knows, but it's really been a lot of fun. We've started having, since we have four podcasts a week now, Wow, they release. So <clears throat> it's a lot of content. And so basically we do two uh, segments, two, two podcasts on, on just Bible study. Uh, we do one from listener questions because we have a lot of listeners. And so they ask a lot of really good questions. And then we do one where we have a guest typically. So uh, we've been able to to get a lot of, you know, famous people and especially some of the political stuff we've done with Ted Cruz and, you know, Alan yeah. West, and, you know, a lot of big names. And, and it's been fun uh, to, to be able to connect with these people. Kathy Lee Gifford blew me away. I mean, like how much of the, Bible she knew. I, I just thought I had prepared kind of a little fluffy, you know, piece about, you know, Frank Gifford. And then she starts in with the Greek and the Hebrew. And I'm just wow. like, I was shocked, but uh, that, that old gal knows the Bible. Don't let it's, her, don't let her demeanor fool you. It's a shame that more things like that don't show up, you know, on, yeah. media, you know, that more people don't highlight um, the depth there. So that's right. That's cool. that's right. So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, it's gone really, really well. It's getting the gospel out there. I mean, thousands of people are finding a relationship with Christ. I get emails, so many emails, I can't possibly even answer them all. We've got a whole team of people trying to do the best we can. But, you know, it's just a lot of ministry, a lot of hurting people. Uh, I really spent, when I'm not preparing podcasts, doing podcasts, or preaching, I'm usually trying to do ministry through the computer. A lot of hurt and broken people. So it keeps me super busy, but I can't think of anything better to do. Uh, than to help people find a better way. Man, and Al, I was talking to um, Jeremy. It was it was like a month ago, um, somewhere along that line. But he 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 shared with me that he goes every week because of the podcast we have um, at least bare minimum somewhere between five to ten people every single week coming to get baptized because they heard the gospel from the podcast and they decided that they needed to make this decision, give their life to Christ, which is just like super cool. So, and I would say to my reason, the reason he met, he and Mike met you, Jeremy's our, you know, our online minister pastor. And the only reason they met you is because you were gracious enough to allow them to to meet at your building with some people that had been watching live stream that just kind of had a little community of people. And so we started sending those guys out to be able to one, make sure they understand Jesus and the gospel. And then also to understand the importance of discipleship and community. So we see this as God opening doors to do this all over the country. And so we really believe it's going to build the kingdom uh, in a time when the kingdom is needed more than ever uh, to be able to do that. So we're super excited about it. And I really appreciate you going to thank you to to folks that watch your podcast of how open you were to that. Because a lot of pastors see stuff like that as threatening. You know, well, wait a minute. I, you know, I'm in this community. You know, what, who are you? Instead, you are. You think, well, maybe God's opening a door here, and so I wanted to go along with that. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. Absolutely. And to also say that's how we're going to win the world. While, while churches were fighting each other on every corner, we quit impacting our culture, and then all of a sudden we look up in 2020, and our culture is literally on fire. Yeah. And churches have to come together in Christ's name. 
to be able to accomplish that. And we don't do that fight with each other. We do that fight in the enemy out there. Mm, mm, yep. Man, that's good. Um, Al, I want to say thank you so much. Um, I have one last question for you, unscripted. So hope you're ready for it. But if you could eat at one fast food restaurant for the rest of your life, what fast food restaurant would that be? Oh, it had to be Chick-fil-A. It's the only one I eat at now. Because <laughs> right. you know, I used to remember liking to eat at, at other places. And now, you know, we have we have two here. Literally, you can throw a rock from one and hit the other one because they're one of those little small drive through ones. And then they, they built one of the big Taj Mahal ones. And, but they left them, they're so busy that they left them both open. And so, <laughs> like, you, so, you know, you look at one down there and then you go over here and say, okay, I think I'm going to try this one just That's to be nice. able to get through there. So it's That's the only nice. one I eat at. So I guess that, that'll be from now on anyway. And so, I've met all Kathy's and they're awesome people. So there you go. Not Popeye's chicken, Chick fil A. You know, I love Popeye's, but Popeye's does not love me. <laughs> I've, I've had to learn between the spice and the grease, you know, to, to do a little bit better. So I, I tend to go the grill side of Chick-fil-A or their salads, but I'm That's trying to make, I'm trying to make a go for 2021 to be less about. So we'll see. That's awesome. I found today when we, I was getting in our car, um, a honey roasted barbecue sauce, Chick-fil-A packet. And it was, it was like, awesome, man. I'm so glad that I found this. So, um, <laughs> a treasure. well, Al, you just gained a whole lot more appreciation saying Chick-fil-A. So uh, that's our family's favorite. We love going to Chick-fil-A. So, um, well, Al, I just want to say thank you again so much um, uh, for getting the gospel out through a show like Duck Dynasty, for um, using this podcast platform to be able to preach the gospel again, and um, for your pastoring um, in Louisiana as well as globally and your willingness to have a conversation um, with with us on our on our podcast, so it's been great, and uh, I've really appreciated your uh, your words and your influence that you um, you've had, you and your family's had. So, um, from our church, um, from our family uh, to your family, thanks so much for staying faithful uh, to the Lord um, in all the seasons of life. Well, you're very welcome, Skylar, and I appreciate uh, your your uh, your enthusiasm for ministry. Just want to encourage you in that. I know there'll be some. Uh, some tough times there always are, but uh, I can't think of a, anybody that I'd rather encourage uh, than, a, than a man and his family who decide to try to build a good community for Christ. So God bless you and your work there as well. I mean, how cool was that? I'm serious about the Chick-fil-A comment. Uh, Alan really did go up a couple notches in my book when he said that. I love Chick-fil-A, which if you're like me, you're probably thinking... Man, I can go get some Chick-fil-A right now. <laughs> well, anyways, that was a lot of fun. And thank you, Al, for being willing to have that conversation with us on our podcast. Uh, if you would like to uh, grab some of the books that he mentioned in our podcast, you can head over to our show notes. I put some links there for you to go and check those out. Also, if you liked their show, I promise you that you would love their podcast. I mean, it's called Unashamed, and it is, it's like the Duck Dynasty show without all the TV filters. I mean, it oozes Jesus all throughout the conversation. It's pretty awesome. And as I reflect on their story, I am just amazed at how awesome our God is. I mean, this is a family with a humble beginning, and it tells a story of redemption in every sense of the word. And as a result, God has and he is using them in a very mighty way. It reminds me of the simple fact that the next big awakening might just be the person in front of you. 
the person in the checkout line, the, the person in the, the, the shopping mall. I mean, the person you think is that is far from God, is unreachable or unredeemable. That person might just be your neighbor, your barber, your gardener, your teacher, your classmate, the beer drinking drinker, or that person might be you. Why not take a risk? Why not take a step out in faith? Trust God with all of you, uh, everything that you have. Give thanks for what you have and let God use you in big ways this year. Well, I hope that this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time.